Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everybody, brothers, sisters, family, and friends. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday. No matter how dark the Friday or the Saturdays may get in your life, remember, Sunday is coming. And today is a celebration and a a remembrance that that day is definitely coming, no matter how dark things may get. I want to thank all of you who wrote to us, who called us, who gave us your warm sympathies uh, during this time in our family. I joined many other families who are also in mourning for uh, re- uh, deaths and more uh, different things that have happened, sicknesses. You are all in our prayers. We pray for you. We pray for you every day, and we thank you for praying for us. We've been looking at the life of David. Uh, We talked about slaying giants. And I want to examine a psalm, my favorite psalm, perhaps everybody's favorite psalm, Psalm 23, which really shows David's courage amidst his experience in the valley of the shadow of death. Many of us have walked that valley more than one time. And so this psalm is of great encouragement to see where David drew his courage from. This psalm has many levels. Even though it's a short psalm, very few verses, it's very, very deep. So I wanted to share with you some of the things that I've learned from this psalm. Let's read it first in its entirety, and then we'll take it verse by verse. Uh, If you want to turn with me to Psalm 23, or you have it right here in your screens. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk to the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right here from verse 1, David is acknowledging that there is really one shepherd, but he is David's shepherd. It's a very personalized psalm. I appreciate our brother Danny how he personalized those verses of being conquerors. And that's really how we need to take all these scriptures because we have, God calls us to have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. And from this psalm, we see how David had it. And because he he because the Lord was his shepherd, he says, I lack 
nothing. <clears throat> this shows David's implicit trust in the Lord. A sheep needs to trust the shepherd. You know, sheep are known to be extremely distracted and completely inept and left to themselves. <laughs> We're sheep. <laughs> but David knows deep down in his soul that he lacks nothing. If he's following his shepherd, he has everything. He has absolute trust in his shepherd's provision for his needs and welfare. And of course, we know Jesus is the good shepherd. John 10, 14. When we willingly put ourselves in his care, we lack nothing. Today, we remember Resurrection Sunday. Our shepherd rose from the grave. He overcame the world. He's leading us on. And so if we follow him, we lack nothing. He has given us everything. And this is the main idea, really, that carries on throughout the rest of the psalm. We lack nothing. God is the great provider. Every blessing, every reason for living that we know of, and even those that we don't know of, are well provided because the Lord richly provides as our shepherd. We lack nothing as his people. And if we think we do, there's some sin clouding our judgment. We, if we see others lacking through the provisions God has given us, we richly provide. Because God has provided us <coughs> in the midst of the darkest valley. We're usually not good judges of what the Lord is accomplishing in us and others. But when we trust him to be our good shepherd, we are therefore, they are, we are therefore able and willing to believe that he is providing. The next verse, verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. As our shepherd and as our provider, God is looking out for our welfare. He makes us lie down. He leads us where we need to be, not where we would like to go. The shepherd, only the shepherd knows where the green pastures are. Sheep tend to be very nearsighted. We can't see past the end of our nose many times. But the shepherd is looking out for the best pasture out there. And sometimes he has to lead the sheep through rocky or barren terrain to get there. The same goes for still waters. We may want to go to waters that are convenient to the waters that we can see, but they might be unhealthy waters, turbid, dangerous. God wants to lead us to still waters where we can drink deeply without facing any dangers. He leads us to pastures where we can actually lie down in the green pastures provided by our Lord. When everything else looks pretty bleak, we have our fill. As David says, I lack nothing. It is in these kind of green pastures where we don't need to stand around, but we actually lie down in them. God makes us lie down to be still, to be awed, and to see the Lord fighting our battles. As we read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, it's the Lord who fights for us. Moses said, you need only to be still. And when Jesus is our shepherd, when we make the Lord our shepherd, we can be still. We can lie down in those green pastures. 
and drink deeply in those still waters. In the next verse, verse 3, we read, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. God is the only one who can truly restore. The word there for refresh is actually a Hebrew word that means to turn back, to repent, to actually cause a deep change in the innermost part of ourself, which is our soul. And only the good shepherd knows what ails our soul, and he's there to fully provide restoration and refreshing. Jesus says to us, he invites us to come to him. He says, come to me, I will give you rest for your souls. But we have to learn from him. We have to learn to take his yoke upon us. It's not a pill. It's not a quick fix. It's not a seminar we take or something we need to memorize. It actually involves us giving ourselves up to him. We need to let go of our load. We need to let go of our yoke, as he says here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We need to learn to trust him enough to give up what we think life is about and to take the yoke Jesus offers, which is an easy yoke. It's a lot lighter than the loads that you try to carry. But in order to do this, see, now we're talking about a deep change that must take place. I can try and let the Lord be my shepherd and try to follow him. But God wants something else. We need to allow him deep enough into our life so that our souls are restored. That involves a change of heart and about face a repentance that needs to happen in order for our souls to experience that refreshing. And that's what the gospel message is all about. We really need to pray for our loved ones to experience the same refreshing that we've been open to. And sometimes what needs to happen in order for someone to realize that is a deep humbling that needs to happen in our lives, something to uh, humble our souls, sometimes our ego tends to be bigger than our souls, and it doesn't allow for that experience of refreshing. And this involves changing an allegiance to whatever master or idol rules your heart at this moment. We really need to die to those old uh, idols, to old allegiances, and learn to be born again in Christ, just like Jesus denied himself to come rescue us. Now it's time for us to put away our idols, put away the passions of our heart, and really declare the Lord as our shepherd, declare Jesus as our only shepherd. So to, be, to change our allegiance, we need to be honest, though, about the false ideas, the false hopes that we try to pin on ourselves, maybe dependent on the world. We need to be honest enough to hate the lie that we've been sold, and to turn to the only one we know can really provide, the only one we know who can really fill us. And sometimes this is a process, a long process for some. We're praying for some in our families to wake up to this process and to learn to trust the Lord. And since God has worked in all our lives here, you know, who declare the Lord to be our shepherd, we need to trust that God is also working 
in their lives. And this is where the gospel message that we preach comes in. The good news that we don't have to carry guilt anymore, that our souls can be refreshed. So this verse in Psalm 23 is a turning point. It's a turning point of restoring our relationship with God. But we need to die to self. And that's where the next slide comes in, which talks about baptism. Notice those wavy lines there in front of the gospel symbols. That represents the watery grave of baptism. When we're ready to give up our idols and give up our way of thinking, the way that we may think it's right, the way we may think is true, and turn to Jesus, we join him in his death at that point. That's how we seal our repentance. We die with him through baptism, as Romans 6, 3, and 4 says. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, what we celebrate today, we also can join him in, a, in like a preview of resurrection, if you will, because the true resurrection is coming. But right now, the gospel allows us a preview of the life to come, one that we can start living right now. And baptism is the portal to that kingdom of God. Once you're baptized because you've repented from the heart, God adds you to his kingdom. You're now part of God's family. And you can start really enjoying the green pastures and the still waters that the good shepherd provides. So like I said before, this part of the psalm speaks of that turning, that repentance that is necessary in order to experience the deeper fellowship of the following verses of the psalm that we are going to see. Verse 1 and 2, the verses that we've read so far, they're true for everyone. Even if people don't believe the Lord is their shepherd, God is everyone's shepherd. He's the provider for everyone, whatever it is that you believe, Greek, Jew, Gentile, Muslim. God is the only one true shepherd that everybody has. And he, he gives a general providence to everyone, spoken of in Matthew 545, where it says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So the first two verses really are a general providence of God. But now in the next few verses, we're going to see that it gets personal. And only those who are carrying Jesus yoke, only those who've exchanged their heavy old yoke, they're impossible to carry yoke, the yoke that's going to kill you. Only when you exchange that, now you're in the position to be guided along the right paths. But <laughs> he doesn't do it for our sake, thank God. He does it here, as David says, for his name's sake. Do you know what that means? That's such a great guarantee that God fulfills his promise. And it doesn't depend on our uh, flakiness, <laughs> but it depends on his righteousness and his goodness. And that's powerful because God will do it. He doesn't do according to what we deserve. That's part of the good news of the gospel. His love is not unaffected by our lack of response or maturity or ability. He will save us. He will guide us for his name's sake, whether we deserve it or not. But you need to let go of those idols that you need to do. You need to stop trusting in the things of the world and pick up Jesus' yoke. And you know what? Like this graphic is saying here, if it's too heavy for you, it's not his yoke. You're still trying to carry some things. 
You're still serving some idol that you need to put away and be free from its chains. Isaiah 43 verse 1 will say, Now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Then he says in verse 6 and 7, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I have formed and have made. Yes, God has called you. And if you've surrendered your life and have taken up Jesus' yoke, he is calling you by name. Jesus knows his sheep by name. And his sheep hear his voice. And that's why in this next verse, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When we walk with Jesus' yoke, it affords us a brand new perspective on everything. One you cannot have if you're struggling with a heavy yoke that wasn't really made for you. It will tire you out. It'll make you weary. But with Jesus' light burden, we can walk through the darkest valley in your life, and not fear, because we have the assurance God is with us. He calls us by name. Jesus is with us. Remember, a yoke is made for two to carry, not one. The yoke that we try to carry without Jesus is not a real yoke, because it has only one fitting. <laughs> but Jesus' yoke says, no, I'm going to carry it with you. And you know what? When the days are all sunny and good, and when everything's hunky-dory, the sheep sometimes wander away from the shepherd. They like to explore, and sometimes they get into trouble. But when the shepherd is leading them through that rocky and barren terrain, when there's danger all around, those sheep huddle up. They're making sure that they're following their shepherd through the darkest valley. They lean on the shepherd even more. And they don't fear because they know the shepherd knows best and they can trust anything that he takes them through. They accept everything from his hand, seemingly good or bad. The shepherd's rod and staff are used to keep the sheep in line. Sheep are very distracted. They're short-sighted. They need to be corrected and rebuked often. And the shepherd has to give him love taps with his rod, often grab him by the neck with the staff. The rod, which was a shorter uh, utility thing that the shepherd had, was used to fight off wild animals. It was like kind of like a nightstick. Uh, and it was also used to count the sheep, perhaps to direct them along. The rod prodded them during the day. And at night, you know, the shepherd guided them into the sheepfold. Sometimes willing sheep will respond to the prodding, but some stubborn, strong-willed sheep might not. So the shepherd had to exert his authority more strongly using the staff. And as you see, the staff had like a curled part around it so that shepherd, the shepherd would be able to grab a sheep by the neck and pull them in towards the herd if the sheep wandered away from the flock into some possible harm. David says that the rod and the staff were a comfort 
to him. David chose to see God's authority and sometimes painful involvement in his life as a direct show of his love for David. How do you see reproof and correction in your life? How is your take on discipline? If you're one of the sheep that recognizes the shepherd's voice, you're going to be greatly comforted by the shepherd's rod and staff. Though often pretty painful, but most of the time it's just really an annoyance to the flesh. All the sheep who recognize this, they accept God's discipline. They accept God's punishment. And they do more than that. It is a comfort to them. They are comforted that God does show his authority and exerts it because Father knows best. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, we read, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So if you're one of those sheep that knows and recognizes the voice of the shepherd and he calls you by name, the sign of his discipline in your life, the chastening, though painful it may be, is a tangible reminder of God's love for you. It should be something very comforting. This next verse is all about the sphere of influence God has set before us. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is, we're talking about how God manifests himself publicly in the, live, in the lives of his sheep. He is the gracious host, as we sing about in the song, Come Share the Lord. It says, we gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For through the loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come, take the bread. Come, drink the wine. Come, share the Lord. That's the table God has prepared before us. In Luke 22, uh, verse 29 and 30, he says here, I confer on you a kingdom. This is Jesus telling us, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, <clears throat> when we celebrate the Lord at the table of the Lord, as the song says, he joins us here. He breaks the bread. The Lord who pours the cup is risen from the dead. The one we love the most is now our gracious host. Come take the bread, come drink the wine, come share the Lord. That table that has been prepared before us is more than just a physical table with physical provisions. This speaks of the table that's spoken of in heaven, the rich provisions of eternal life. The table prepared before us, we celebrate on a weekly basis, the most important memorial of all of human history, declaring how we've been set free from sin and death and are awaiting a Savior to take us home. We declare the Lord's death, and we are waiting for Him to come in this celebration. He has 
risen. He triumphed over sin and death and soon is coming to take us home. This is the message that every Christian declares when we publicly get together or virtually as we're doing today to come together around this table that God has prepared for us. And this table, although humbly celebrated right now, will be a feast of innumerable delicacies when we are reunited with the Lord as we read in the parable of the kingdom of the banquet in Luke 14, 15 and Matthew 22, 2. And as we read about it in Revelation 19, 9, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Not only does God prepare a table before us, but he anoints our head with oil. That is actually a reference of how God has chosen us to be royalty. Only royalty was anointed to have a specific function in God's kingdom. And as Revelation 1.6 says, he has made us to be a kingdom and priest. He has anointed us. David was anointed with oil to be king over Israel. But you and I, as we follow our shepherd, we've been anointed to be a, a kingdom of priests and kings to serve him, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation 5.20, it also say, you've made them to be kingdom and priests. Peter will say, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's his sheep that he's calling. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Many are experienced darkness here as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But we have a light, even in this darkness, that we need to shine because God has anointed us. Not only has he prepared a table before us and anointed us, but our cup overflows. As God's children, we have innumerable blessings, often hidden from the short-sighted and the greedy. Luke 6.38 speaks of how we ought to give because <laughs> how we give is how God gives us. And I love this description, a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into our lap. For with the measure you use, it will be used to you. In Ephesians 1.3, it speaks of how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to bless us abundantly in all things, at all times, having all that you need to abound in every good work. Our cup overflows, not just physically, but we're speaking spiritually here more than we know. The Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing. <laughs> the last verse here just kind of summarizes up quite nicely. Surely, for sure, God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This really speaks of the conclusion of those who've chosen the Lord as their shepherd, meaningfully, willfully, on purpose. Many psalms reflect 
the sheep's point of view that David learned from being a shepherd and trusting God as his very own shepherd. We're covered by God's goodness, by his love in Christ Jesus, by the righteousness of Christ. That is our protection. His blood covers us from the avenger of death, our enemy. Surely death might touch us unless Jesus comes while we're still alive. But we've triumphed over it. Jesus triumphed over the world. He says, take heart. We will triumph as well. We're well guarded in him as the sheep of his pasture. Before him, <coughs> we're without guilt or blame. We therefore can securely and surely dwell in his house forever. No more dark valleys, no more searching for green pastures or quiet waters. In the news of Jerusalem, we will be serving as kings and priests. That is the legacy of the sheep of God's pasture. As Psalm 100 says, shout for joy all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Indeed, we are a blessed generation to receive the praises of the Lord and the calling of God to join him as sheep of his pasture. And I pray for you who are already identified as God's sheep to be comforted, knowing that your shepherd goes before you. He's leading you through the valley of death to green pastures and still waters. If any of you hearing my voice today are not yet identified as his sheep, take time to think about what's keeping you back. What other idols or promises that are futile, what do they offer you? None of them can go beyond the death, and none of them can even guarantee you anything in this life. There is no other shepherd. Shepherding yourself will just lead you to a dead-end cliff. Many others try to shepherd, but there's only one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Turn to him today to find your salvation. God bless you this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.